Welcome to the First Baptist Church of Lavernia Sermon Podcast. If you have any questions about what you hear, or if you would like to speak with one of our pastors, you can find all of our contact information at www.fbclv.com. Traditionally, Baptists like to sit in the back of the room anyway. But I'm not sure I've ever seen more people towards the back in the balcony than I've seen today. If the church starts to pop a wheelie, I'm going to need some of y'all to move forward to level this place out a little bit. How many of you would say that you are a movie lover? Raise your hand. How many of you would say that you have a really good memory? Raise your hand. How many of you would say that you have a terrible memory except when it comes to things that happened in movies? Isn't it strange how something you can see in a movie, maybe it's a scene or a quote, it will stick with you when you can't remember what you did yesterday in the morning or what you have going on. I've had full conversations with my wife that she goes, don't you remember we talked about that? And I'll say, that conversation never happened, right? I don't remember it all. But this morning, I can remember a scene from a movie and a quote that I saw 35 years ago. And I can remember it like I saw it this morning. So just to test your brains and get them warmed up, I'm going to give you a few famous movie quotes And help me finish these out if you remember them. Toto, I've got a feeling that we're not in Kansas anymore. May the force be with you. They may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Mama always said, life like a box of chocolates. Houston, we have a problem. Okay, you got it. Okay, now, 35 years ago. My mind can see this scene. I can remember it like it was yesterday. Hello, my name is Anigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Now, if you haven't seen that, that's from a movie called The Princess Bride. <clears throat> it is a cult classic. It's been around for 35 years. <clears throat> In this movie, there's a young boy named Anigo Montoya. He's 11 years old. And the man who has six fingers on his right hand kills his dad, puts a scar on each side of his face. He spends the next 20 years of his life training, preparing, so he can find that man, have his revenge upon him, and he tells everybody the story that when I find him, I'm going to say, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And I can remember that like I saw it yesterday for the first time. Here's a little picture of Inigo Montoya. You've never seen it. So I can see this, and I can remember it, and the sword, and all these scenes. That was 35 years ago. And there's some things in our life that we hold on to for 35 years, or maybe 20 years, like he did trying to find this man. So the anchor that we're going to look at today, something that we often hold on to that is dragging us along when God has a different plan for us to move, is this anchor of unforgiveness. If you have your Bibles today, Turn to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 21 through 35. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. What must we understand about unforgiveness that maybe you've been holding on to for too long? If you're a point taker, here's our first. Unforgiveness limits redemption. So we're in Matthew chapter 18 to be good stewards of God's word. We need to know what's happened in those first 18 chapters. In the most recent chapters, we've seen Jesus teaching and healing, building relationships, showing the world the goodness 
of the gospel. The disciples ask him, Master, teacher, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he pulls a small child and he says, unless you humble yourselves, you're not even going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But the greatest is those who are humble like this child. He warns them about temptations that are to come. He tells them the parable of the 99 sheep who were safe in the flock, but how the shepherd went to look for that one, not because he didn't love the 99, but because there is such great rejoicing when the one comes back home. He tells them about conflict resolution. And he says, when you have an issue or a problem with someone, here is the model that you are to follow. You go to them and you try to work it out. If you're unable to work it out between them, you go and find two or three other godly people, bring them along with you and try to work it out. If it still can't be worked out, bring the whole church along with you and try to fix this. And the intent is never hatred, never maliciousness. It's never to embarrass someone or to make them feel bad, saying, well, I have witnesses here about how foolish you're acting. The goal is always love, forgiveness, restoration. Just do whatever you can to bring your brother back to where y'all can get on the same page. And then Peter asked this question, which is legitimate, and says, well, you know, if I'm supposed to forgive other people, answer me this, verse 18. Chapter 18, verse 21. And then Peter came up and he said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So Peter's asking a good question here. Lord, you're talking about offenses. You're talking about when my brother sins against me, when they have done me wrong, you're saying that I need to forgive. Well, how many times do I need to forgive them? Because growing up in Judaism, Peter was taught you forgive three times. You forgive them three times, and now time number four, that's it. You don't have to forgive them no more. So he's thinking, okay, well, if the rule is three, Jesus goes above and beyond, then surely seven is more than enough. And Jesus answers back, no, 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 not seven, but 77. Or in the King James, right, seven times 70. And so it's a huge number. And so I'm imagining Peter going, hmm, 77 times. That's a lot. How am I going to keep up with that in my mind? Because if I've forgiven you one, two, or three times, I can remember that. But 77, I'm going to have to make a list. I'm going to have to get a chalkboard in my office. I'm going to put everybody's names on there. When I forgive them once, I'm putting a mark, four marks, and then one across makes five. And then finally, when I get down to 77, that's it. They're done. No more forgiveness for them. And Jesus isn't telling them that there is a number. Instead, he is saying that true forgiveness doesn't keep count. Now, preacher, I'm not sure that can be true because I know that I have read in the book of Second Hesitations but there's a passage that says, foolest me once, shame on you. Foolest me twice, shame on me. And that's not in the Bible. That's not what it says. Instead, Jesus teaches us here that there is no count. So we say, well, then how many times am I supposed to forgive somebody? Well, how many times do you want God to forgive you? Matthew six fourteen. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. Preacher, I'm having a really hard time with this because it would seem to me that if I forgive someone and they do something against me again, whether it be the same thing or something else, it doesn't seem to me that they're very sorry for what they did. And maybe they're not. 
And there's a lot of times that I know I'm called to forgive somebody, but I don't think they deserve it. And how often do we deserve to be forgiven the way that we have? And Lord, I just keep getting tired of having to forgive this same person over and over and over, and yet God is always faithful and just to forgive us over and over and over. So here's where we start when it comes to unforgiveness. If you're struggling, and maybe there's somebody in your life that you can think of right now, and you go, I have forgiven them so many times, they are dead to me. I'm not forgiving them no more. Jesus says you have to forgive them. If you've been reading your Bible and you've been praying and asking God about what to do and you feel like he's telling you not to forgive someone, that's not from the Lord. That's not from his scripture. That's from the world. That's from the enemy. So don't listen to that. And the longer that you allow unforgiveness to be in your heart, the more it will lead you down a path that you do not want to follow. Unforgiveness, it limits redemption because we are saying, well, Lord, I'm only going to forgive somebody a certain number of times when God has shown us that his redemption, forgiveness, and love is unlimited, and we're to show that to others. Number two, unforgiveness longs for revenge. I saw this video of a guy on the side of the road, and he takes a rock, and he throws it at a car that's driving down the road. And I'm not sure if he knows this person or if he thinks it'd be fun to see if he can take a rock and can throw it at a car and see if he can hit it and watch what happens here. <clears throat> so you see the guy on the side of the road chunks this big old rock. I can't tell if it hits the car, gets really close. But apparently he gets really inspired by his arm and his throwing ability. And he picks up another rock and says, watch this. I'll just throw another one at that car. And the guy in the car goes, oh, okay, you want to throw rocks at my car? I'll show you what I think about that. Oh, yeah, how about that? I'm going to throw a rock back at you, the rock the size of my whole vehicle. Now, I'm not sure that here the punishment fits the crime, but what did the guy in the car want? Revenge. You throw a rock at my car, watch this. Bam, I'll run you over. And so many times we allow this desire for revenge to overwhelm us for days, weeks, months, even years. So Jesus wants to paint this picture, and Jesus is the master storyteller. So he says, let me tell you a story about a king and a servant. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owned him 10,000 talents. Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold. His wife and children, all that he had, payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, I'll pay you back everything. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him of the debt. Now, we don't deal with talents in our day and time. So in the Old Testament, a talent was a weight of 75 pounds. In the New Testament, a talent was a monetary unit. One talent equaled 6,000 denarii, or one talent was 20 years worth of wages. Okay, so I like to think about numbers, and I want to see how much was forgiven here. So if one talent is 20 years wages, then this man owed the king 200,000 years worth of wages. This is a big, big debt, billions. There's no way that he could pay this. And so as it was custom, king was going to sell him, sell his family, sell everything they own to get back at least a portion 
of what was owed to him, but the man begs and pleads, and the king shows great mercy and forgives his debt. Verse 28. But when the same servant went out, the one who had just been forgiven, he found one of his servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servants fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will pay you. But he refused, and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, I want to know what's the difference here. Show me a comparison of how much the one man owed versus how much the other man owed. So when you look at these denarii, it says this servant owed him 100 denarii. So let's just say a denarii is a dollar, just for simple math, okay? So he owed him $100, and he was just forgiven by the king $60 million. $60 million versus $100. He owed the king 10,000 talents. This man owed him 1.7% of one talent. 10,000 versus 1.7. So I try to think about this in real numbers. It'd be like me owing the Ferrari dealership 500 vehicles. So I have a debt to them for 500 brand new Ferraris, and they forgive that debt but I find somebody out in the world who owes me one matchbox car that's a Pinto and me not forgiving that. It's you owing a bill at Ruth Chris for 10,000 meals, you know, tomahawk steaks, and you being forgiven, saying, listen, your debt is white clean, but you going out here and choking someone, having them thrown in jail because they owe you one crunchy taco at Taco Bell. You'd say, come on. That can't be right. Such a great debt that was forgiven. And this isn't a formula. This isn't math class. Some of you are going, this is too many numbers. I don't know about this 1.7. Do I need a graphing calculator, right? Texas Instruments, number 97, with a bunch of signs. No, you don't need none of that business. Because here's the picture Jesus paints. The servant owed the king a debt he could never repay. Ever. In 10,000 lifetimes, he could never repay the debt that was owed. And we owed a debt to our king that we could never repay, not in 10,000 lifetimes. And Jesus paid our sin debt on the cross and signed it in his blood and said, you are forgiven, set free. Your slate and debt are gone. And if you really understand, if you have truly been forgiven of such a great debt, then you'll never walk out and be unforgiving to others because it's out of that abundance of forgiveness that God has given us that we are able to forgive. It doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt or that it's not painful. Nobody likes to be done wrong by other people, but to be like Jesus, we have to forgive. Preacher, I get it, and I can do that. I can forgive other people in Jesus' name because I know that I have to, God tells me. But here's what I don't know. I don't know that I can ever feel the same way about that person. And I don't think that Scripture says that we need to feel the same way about that person. Because a nail that is driven into a board can be pulled out, but the hole's still there in the board. So then how do I treat people who have sinned against me, who have hurt me, who have done me wrong time and time and time again? Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you'll heap burning coals on his head. 
do not become evil, but overcome evil with good. As far as it depends on you, remember, only you can make decisions of what you're going to do in your life. You live peaceably with everyone, which means that you forgive them every time because Jesus says you have to. But it doesn't mean that you feel the same way. It doesn't mean that your relationship goes back to where it was before. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're BFFs again. But here's what you can't do. You can't seek revenge. No voodoo dolls. No trying to run them over with your car on the side of the street. And if they need something, you meet the need to the best of your ability. You give them anything and everything that you can because that's what Jesus would do. And you absolutely never let unforgiveness remain in your heart because it will always be a foothold for the enemy to lead you to a place of darkness. One person said this, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and then hoping it hurts our offender. Holding on to unforgiveness will never hurt the person that hurt you. It will only hurt you every time. And the longer that you hold on to it, the longer it interrupts and damages and breaks your relationship with Jesus. You have to forgive. It limits our redemption. It longs for revenge. Number three, unforgiveness loses his reflection. One day I was pulling into HEB. No, no, no. Every day I'm pulling into HEB. But on this one particular day, I pulled into a spot. I don't drive around. I'm not that person. You'll never see me circling the lot, waiting for the good spot. The first place that I can find, that's where I'll pull into so I pull in, I get out. Almost every time I get out, I have a list. So I'm going through it on my phone, I'm looking. And probably 30, 40 feet behind me, I can hear this lady screaming at somebody. I can't believe you pulled out in front of me. What is wrong with you? You don't own this parking lot. You need to watch what you're doing. And I was thinking to myself, ooh, Karen has got her somebody. And she is just a yelling and a screaming and then she just keeps going, and it's not stopping. And so the nosiness in me, I turn around to look, right, who she's yelling at. And she was yelling at me. This whole time, I had no idea. I'm just looking at my list, and Karen's screaming at me. And I go, are you talking to me? Yes, I'm talking to you. I can't believe you pulled out in front of me. And it was just irate. Like, you'd have thought I did something really terrible. And I'm just going, I think she's still talking to me, right? And I'm just looking at my list. I go, what are you talking about? And you pulled out in front of me. And I don't know if I was her dump truck moment. Like she had a terrible day, and I just happened to be the one thing that set her off. If I was the needle, you know, or the thing that just did it for her. But I apologized. I said, ma'am, I'm really sorry if I pulled out in front of you. She was still mad. She walked off steam coming out of her ears. So I went through the store, and you know, my adrenaline kind of gets pumped up a little bit because somebody's screaming at me, and I'm thinking, I didn't even do anything. And if this lady's watching right now or if she's in here, I really am sorry. I didn't mean to pull out in front of you, I promise. And I get home, and I'm kind of down. And my wife gets like, what's wrong? And I go, I went to H-E-B. Some lady screamed at me. I was verbally abused. And then that was it. I was done. I don't hold on to that anymore. I'm not mad. I don't hope I see her again so I can shoot her with a paintball gun. I don't hope that I find what she drives one day so I can run it over with a monster truck. I have no bad feelings. I have no ill intentions. It's okay, right? I hope she forgives me. I forgive her. I can let go of something like that. But other things that happen in our life are not some strange Karen screaming at us in the parking lot for something we didn't do. Other times it's something that is very hurtful and very painful. 
and very, very sensitive to our hearts. And we have trouble letting go of those things sometimes for five years, 20 years, 35 years, maybe 50 years. And so here's what Jesus continues to teach us about unforgiveness. Verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had the mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every single one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. They saw what he did. He was just inside and owed 60 million denarii. He walked outside and choked somebody, had them thrown in jail because they owed him 100. 60 million forgiveness, 100 had them thrown in jail. Something ain't right with him. Master, you're not going to believe this. You forgave him that great debt. He walked out there and had the full arrest. And the king says, you wicked servant. And he has him thrown and taken by the jailers. And there's different interpretations of this verse because this passage is not talking about salvation as a whole. This is talking about how we live and how we treat each other. But some will say this is saying that if you don't forgive, you're going to be locked in eternity away from God the Father. Others say, no, 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 we're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about the way we treat other people and the way that we live. And so this is saying that if you don't forgive, you're going to be enduring some torture or a tormentor, because that's what that word jailer means, and you're going to have to answer for what you did in this life. So many things for us to take away, but here's what I know that this verse means. If you're unable to forgive someone else, it is a very good evidence that you have never truly experienced the forgiveness of God. Warren Wiersbe says we don't just accept God's forgiveness. We experience it. And once you've had that type of debt washed away, it will be impossible for you not to forgive others out of the overflow. I know that if we choose unforgiveness in this life, we're going against what Jesus tells us to do, and God will hold us accountable for that. I know that full well. And I know that every time we allow unforgiveness to stay in our heart, we're opening the door wide for the enemy to come in and to take us down a path of darkness, revenge, and hatred that we are never meant to live in because we're supposed to look like Jesus. And Jesus forgave. I read an illustration by a pastor named John Bray. He says, you know what it feels like when you get a rock in your shoe? I hate that real bad. And because I'm talking about a little rock, it's a big rock. And every time you step, it's on your heel. Oh, it hurts so bad. It's painful, it's bruised, it's burning. It feels like it is crushing the bones in your foot. You can't walk right, you can't run. It interrupts every moment of every day because all you can think about is how bad that rock feels in your shoe. You sit down, you think about how bad it's going to hurt when you stand back up. You lay it at nighttime and your foot hurts because it's been on rock all day long and you don't want to get back up the next morning because you're going to put that shoe on and the rock's going to be in there. It absolutely interrupts every aspect of your life thinking about that painful rock in your shoe. And he goes, and any sensible person would say, well, the simple, simple solution is, you just take your shoe off and dump the rock out. And then it doesn't have to hurt anymore. And he says, sounds easy. He goes, but unforgiveness is just like a rock being in our shoe. 
and we walk around with it, and it hurts, and it's painful. It interrupts our day, it interrupts our night, and it will continue to do so until we take our shoe off and dump out the rock. But you have to choose to do that. Jesus' teaching is very clear on unforgiveness. It limits redemption, which means that if we experience God's great forgiveness, there's no way that we can't forgive others. We won't put a limit and say, well, you get five times or ten times because God doesn't put a number on us. Unforgiveness longs for revenge. Listen to me. People do terrible things in this life, emotionally, mentally, physically to other people. You don't have to hold them accountable. God promises that he will do that and he will make all things right. You can trust him. Your job is to live at peace and with love with each person. Unforgiveness loses his reflection. We want to look more like Jesus in this life. Jesus forgave his disciples who betrayed him. Jesus forgave his brothers who doubted him. Jesus forgave his accusers and his crucifiers. Surely, if we have been forgiven such a debt, then we can forgive one another. Don't let unforgiveness be an anchor that holds you back anymore. Lord, today, this is what we pray. In the power of Jesus' name, would you show us how unforgiveness is hindering us in our lives? <clears throat> For some, Lord, it's a situation, and they know exactly what it is. As soon as the word unforgiveness was mentioned in this room, you brought it to their heart and you brought it to their mind, and in that situation, they need to seek and they need to offer forgiveness. For other people, it was a person and they think this is the one who I've just kept forgiving and they just keep doing me wrong and I don't want to do it anymore. Lord, use that person to show them how we often fail and fall before you, but you're always faithful and just to forgive us. So we must forgive them time and time again. Lord, there may be others here who say, I don't really struggle with unforgiveness, but maybe you know somebody who does. And this is a message God wants you to share with them. Or maybe you're about to walk through something and God's preparing you beforehand so that you know how to handle it. Forgiveness is not optional. It's a command. So Lord, give us the strength and the grace that we will always forgive, regardless of whether we think they deserve it, regardless of whether or not they are sorry. We forgive simply because we have been forgiven. Period. God, if we're walking with a rock of unforgiveness, in our shoe. I pray today would be the day that we dump it out. We let go of the pain. We let go of the hurt, the hardship, and the sting. We turn it over to you. God, we pray this all in the power of Jesus' name. Amen.